Well, good morning, friends. I bring you, thank you, I uh, bring you greetings from Chevrolet Baptist Church. Have you ever noticed pastors often say that, visiting preachers? They'll, they'll say, I bring you greetings from my church. Why, why do we do that? Well, number one, because the apostles do that towards the close of the epistles. You'll often see we send you greetings on behalf of wherever. And we do that also to remind you we're all on the same team. We're all embassies of the kingdom. We're all working together. So even as a brother leaves, as a pastor leaves and goes someplace else, he's not just leaving, you're sending him. The king has reassigned him to a different outpost. And even as he is equipped and ministered to you for years, so you too have equipped and ministered to him. You are sending him a better pastor than he was in January or September of 2009. He's a stronger man. He's a more faithful man. He's a better minister. So you are sending this brother and his family out to do some work over there. And so even as you feel those experiences of sadness at their departure, his departure, I also hope there's a rejoicing in you. Yeah, we got him when he was a young pup. He peed in the house some and he chewed up stuff he shouldn't have chewed up. But we're sending him now as this mighty thing to go and do an even better job there than he did here. Glad we could be a part of that. So I hope that's some encouragement. The Lord is working in my church. He's working here. He's, he's working in Virginia. He's working all over the place. And so I bring you greetings from Chevrolet Baptist Church. And when I return, I can send them your greetings. Is that all right? May, may I do that? A nod of the head? Okay. Um, Josh mentioned that I was briefly his pastor. That's true. What he didn't mention is the brother was a huge minister to me in that time. That was a, I went through a particular ministry trial, we could call it at that point. Uh, one of the more significant ministry trials of my life, frankly. And there was a few guys who really ministered to me in that moment. Jeremy Young, Brad Wheeler, and uh, your pastor, Josh. Brother, you were a tremendous encouragement to me in that time and helped me get through that particular season. So you thank me, I'm thanking you. Uh, I, I still remember that. I have a historical affection and gratitude for Josh. He asked me what I want to preach about, and I'm like, well, you're in between pastors. How about I just preach on what is a pastor? Thinking less about him and more about you, equipping you. I, I think a good pastor is going to regularly preach his own job description to his church just to make sure he and you are on the same page about what the Bible teaches, about what it is he should be giving himself to. And particularly when a pastor leaves, I, I think it's an opportunity for a church to stop and reflect, okay, what, what exactly does the Bible say a pastor is? Because when a pastor leaves and in those moments of transition, it's easy for our personal preferences to begin to assert themselves. Maybe we think of those things that the pastor wasn't very good at. And we think, well, the next guy really better be 
these things that he wasn't, or we think of those things that we did like about him. And we're going to judge the next guy by whether or not he was what you liked in your previous pastor. I really hope he's down to earth, relatable, funny, good with children and animals, right? Well, I think it's fine to have a few of your own personal preferences. It's even more important that you have biblical convictions. You can hold those personal preferences with a loose grip. Hold those biblical convictions with a firm grip. Do you have biblical convictions? What are they? Have you ever stopped and thought about it? Okay, what, what does the Bible say a pastor is? Well, we're going to spend the next few minutes trying to develop those together, looking at a number of texts just to help you, equip you, prepare you for asking the question, okay, what exactly is a pastor? Let me start with three things that a pastor is not. Three kind of common cultural, this is never articulated as such, but we tend to have these assumptions. Number one, a pastor is not a civic or business leader. In high school, I was a member of a fairly well-to-do church in the Chicago suburbs, and the older board was comprised of men who were successful in the community or, 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 or in their jobs. There was the successful doctor, the, the, the vice president at Bear Stearns, the, the, the successful partner at the law firm. Now, these were good men. I, I'd even say they were godly men. I'm not sure they were shepherds. They knew how to get things done. They knew how to build things. I'm not sure they knew how to tend herding sheep, how to accommodate themselves to weakness how to chase down the strays, how to rely on preaching and teaching and counseling from this really old book, this thousands of years old book as the most important thing to do in a church to give it life and faith. They knew from their careers how to rely on their own ingenuity. And in those are their own careers, that's a great thing to do. But a pastor is a man who relies on a different kind of power. Think of the church in Jerusalem in Acts 6 when it was divided over the distribution of food to the Greek and speaking Hebrew-speaking widows. What, what did the apostles do on that occasion? They, they said, okay, church, tell you what, find seven godly men who will be able to solve this fairly significant administrative problem of food going to the Hebrew-speaking widows, but not to the Greek-speaking widows, because we need to devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word and prayer. Now, imagine I, I can imagine some guy sitting out there when they made that little announcement saying, uh, hold on, we're talking about widows here. We're talking about widows not getting fed here. We're talking about division in the church here. We're talking about division in the church along ethnic lines. This is a big deal, pastors. You guys want to go hide away in your study and dig into your commentary so you can teach good Sunday school classes? Really? Is that the most important thing you should be doing right now? It would seem like a pretty reasonable point to make, wouldn't it? 
That's not what the apostles did. They said, no, this needs to be addressed. We're coming to you to address it. But we have to devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word and prayer. Pastors rely on, work with a different kind of power. Not human wisdom, divine wisdom. So they look to the book and divine power. So they pray. A pastor is not a civic or business leader. What was the result? Well, verse 7 seven of Acts 6 tells us, And the word of God spread, and many priests came to the faith. They knew what they were doing. Two more things a pastor is not. Number two, a pastor is not a comedian, an entertainer, or a Tonight Show host. Now, every generation of Christians has been only too happy to have a charismatic and winsome personality up front. That's not unique to our day, but the advent of television and television church, especially beginning with Robert Schuller's, uh, uh, some, of you, some of the older folk in here might remember the, the, the presentations of the Crystal, Crystal Cathedral every week. I remember watching them with my grandma when I was a little boy. They've caused many evangelicals to kind of get into the stream of looking for pastors who have all the suave and entertaining energy of a talk show host, right? I mean, if you're accustomed to falling asleep at night, well, to my father's generation, to Johnny Carson, or to my generation, Jay Leno, or or my children's generation, Jimmy Fallon, you're used to kind of that level of talent, and skill. And so then you, you expect the guy to get up here to have that same sort of, you know, pizzazz. Uh, the, the, same, the same thing happens to churches and their music. You know, we hear live music, professional music, and we, we don't want the clunky old piano player, you know, banging out those hymn chords. We, we want something a little more elegant. We're, we're accustomed to it. It's easy for us to treat the pastors as if we are consumers, and we're like, okay, pastor, what you got? What's your game? What you going to do? Right? Well, again, notice, as with the professional folk who rely on their own pragmatic ingenuity, the danger of distraction here. A number of charismatic and talented preachers had entered the Corinthian church. Just listen to how Paul talks about them in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's coming, your minds may somehow be led astray by your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. I do not think... I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be an untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. Verse 11, do I not love you? God knows I do. A pastor's power and success does not depend on his talent or timing It depends on his faithfulness to the Bible and his love for the sheep. Number three, a pastor is not a visionary or an entrepreneur. Sometimes people get tired of the old. They want something new. They don't quite trust the week in, week out preaching of God's word. They 
Again, they wonder, what, what, what new are you going to do? Where are you going to take us? What new exciting programs can you offer? I think this is especially the case when a church receives a new pastor. The congregation looks on. They wonder, what game is he going to bring? I once worked as an interim pastor at a, at, a, at a church, and when I arrived there, the elders said to me, Hey, Jonathan, a few years ago, we did Rick Warren's 40 Days of Purpose, and it, it was a really exciting uh, time. It really energized the church, and it's been a few years since then. C- could you lead us through 40 Days of Purpose? We think it would really help energize us. And I said, no. I'll tell you what I will do. I'll preach through Mark's gospel, chapter by chapter. I wanted to preach for change. I wanted to preach for maturity. I did not want to preach for energy that would dissipate within a few weeks, a few months of preaching it. No, like a father, I I wanted to raise the five-year-old into a 15-year-old, so he's, he's 15 now. He's actually changed. He's more mature in Christ. Do you see? That's the program. I, we, elders, preach, teach, you grow. You go out and do ministry. That takes a while. It's long-term. requires faith. I like to see results now. I don't get to do that as a dad. I don't get to do that as a pastor. We trust the Lord is working little by little. You do not want a pastor with vision. At least not his own. You want a pastor with God's vision as he looks to the book. Okay, that's three things a pastor is not. Here are six things a pastor is. A pastor is an under-shepherd. A bunch of texts I could point you to here. Uh, The first one, 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The word for shepherd here is the word for pastor. Those are the same word. You could translate it one way or the other. So if you're using the ESV Bible, you won't actually find the word pastor anywhere in it. You will find the word shepherd. You could translate verse 2, pastor the flock that is among you. Or when the chief, verse 3, when the chief pastor appears. As I said, same word. And notice from verse 1 in that text, how pastors are elders. Elders are pastors. An elder and a pastor are the same thing. Those are interchangeable words, even if the words emphasize different aspects of the job. But fundamentally, a pastor is a shepherd. And it's a wonderful metaphor for the New Testament use because the entire Bible from beginning to end uses this metaphor of a shepherd. God is a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. The kings of Israel were to be shepherds. Of course, those shepherds 
or unfaithful. Ezekiel 34, just listen to this. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Verse 10, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. Shepherds devouring the sheep. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. And of course, we know from John chapter 10, the good shepherd came and the sheep know his voice. And he did not let any one of the sheep go astray, let them out of his hand. And then he established under shepherds. First Peter 5 again, how do they do this? Well, they do this, it says, by exercising oversight, which we'll talk more about in a moment. They do this willingly because they want to. They're, they're, they're not compelled. They're like, they're like a, a good father with his children. I, I want to be your dad. Sometimes you've ever heard a, a husband, a father saying something like, yeah, my, my wife's out of town this weekend. I'm left to babysit the kids. And you're like, mm, you're not a babysitter, buddy. You're their dad. Not just her job, their job, and you should be wanting to do that. You've, you've heard that before, right? Well, a shepherd does not do what he does for shame, fame, shameful gain. He, he, gain. he does it willingly. He wants to. He loves the sheep. And he doesn't domineer, do this, do this, do that. No, he sets an example, the text says. Watch me do this. Watch me do that. Now, now you follow after me. And when we put this passage together with everything the Bible says about shepherds, what does it shepherds do? Well, they, they know the sheep, they, they live with the sheep, they lead the sheep, they provide for the sheep, they protect the sheep. We're not going to unpack what each one of those looks like, but you get the general idea. Sometimes you'll hear pastors say, shepherds smell like sheep. Why do they smell like sheep? Well, they're living with the sheep. They know the sheep. They're not lording it over them. They're with them. They're getting to know them. They, they, they remember their names. They ask about their kids and that challenge at work and that health difficulty. And then they work to apply God's Word to those specific areas of people's lives, to that particular wound. He's watchful of that particular... Is that a, is that a wolf? Keep my eye on that. Bring my rod. Let me speak to the elders of this church, brothers, very directly. Hebrews 13 says, You will give an account for every sheep in the flock of which God has made you overseers. And so if, if I opened up your brother pastors, brother elders, if I opened up your church director and just directing, it was just like, this person. Could you give an account for that person? 
or, or if not you personally, one of the other guys. Or, or even if not one of the other guys, you would know who to go to to give an account for that person. If the Holy Spirit has made you overseer over all the flock, well, you wouldn't say, Jonathan, you know, God has made you a father of all your kids. And I'm like, I got three out of four. That's pretty good, right? No, all my kids. Okay, he has made you overseer of all the flock. You will give an account for all the flock, brother, pastors. The Lord knows how many hours in the day he's given to you. He's not asking you to be Superman. He, he, he's not asking you to neglect, neglect your wife and kids. They are your first priority. Nonetheless, part of the work is aspiring to give an account for all the flock to see how they were doing, how they are faring in the faith. That, brother, pastor, is a crucial part of your job. It doesn't mean you've got to be BFFs with everybody in the church. And hey, everybody in the church, you shouldn't expect to be the BFF, best friend forever, with all of your elders or even one of your elders. It might not work that way. They're equipping you to minister to one another. But those, do, those brothers do aspire to shepherd each one of you. And as you consider who your next lead pastor is, Trinity Bible, you want a man who knows how to be an under-shepherd of the chief, chief shepherd. He, he knows he's just a steward. He's not going to devour you, take advantage of you, fleece you. He's just there on the Lord's behalf as long as the Lord would have him here, living with you, walking with you. Number two, a pastor is an overseer. A pastor is an overseer. Acts 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. But then you jump down to verse 28 and it says, now he's talking to the elders, but it says, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw them away, disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. Okay, so the, the elders are called overseers. They're told to shepherd. Uh, the word overseers is the same word from which we get bishop. So uh, a pastor is an elder, is an overseer or a bishop. It, it, it's the same job. Again, the New Testament uses them interchangeably. Or think about another text, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders, they have oversight, Submit to them, for they are keeping watch over, over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Notice again how this idea of overseer blends with the idea of shepherd. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Brother pastors, pay careful attention. What's she struggling with? What's he encouraged by? What exasperates them? 
Are you paying careful attention? Wolves are going to show up and entice them. Do you know the Word of God well enough to know how to speak to them right there in those hurts and those joys and those struggles with the Word of God to push away the wolves? And as I said, this is a position of oversight. It's a position of leadership, a position to which the flock should submit, as Hebrews 13 says. No, that doesn't mean these men have the authority to tell you who to marry or what job to take or where to move or what house to buy. No. Their authority is circumscribed entirely by the Bible and teaching the Bible. An elder with no Bible is an elder with no authority. That's where their authority exists. Nonetheless, a pastor or an elder has authority over the whole church. This is what distinguishes them, for instance, from deacons. A deacon might be given authority over a specific area of the church's life, authority over benevolence, over sound, uh, over making sure food is distributed to the Greek-speaking and the Hebrew-speaking widows. They, they need to be able to come in and say, okay, we need you people to do this, we need you those people to do that. They have to exercise a kind of implied authority. Nonetheless, that's different than an elder authority, and an elder authority has oversight over the whole flock, and particularly people's discipleship to Christ over their souls, over their ability to follow after Jesus as the elders apply the word. So different churches might give pastors different job titles. Pastor of adult ministries, executive pastor, youth pastor. You, you might come up with different adjectives you place in front of that word pastor. Nonetheless, don't be deceived. A pastor, whether or not he has an adjective in front of or after his name, has oversight over the whole flock together with the other pastors. Number three, a pastor is an equipper. A pastor is an equipper. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, pastors. ESV says shepherds, NIV says pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. If we looked at the previous verses, we would see that Paul says Jesus ascended and descended and gave out gifts to his church, including pastors or shepherds. They're one of the gifts that Jesus gives to his church. And why does Jesus give them this gift? Look at verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The pastor's job is to equip the saints to do their job. What is their job? Their job, your job, is to do the ministry. What ministry? The ministry of building up the body of Christ. So we all participate in the ministry of building up the body of Christ. The pastors equip you to do your job. The weekly church gathering, then, is a time of job training. It allows those in the office of pastor to equip those in the office of member to know the gospel and to live by the gospel, to protect the church's gospel witness, to, to extend the gospel's ministry into one another's lives as you, as you go about caring for one another throughout the week, to equip you to go into your workplaces and, and share the gospel. All of this we could call Jesus' discipleship program. Let, let, let me put it mathematically. 
the elder's job of equipping plus your job of ministering equals Jesus' discipleship program. It's the greatest thing. You don't even have to go to a Christian bookstore and buy it off the shelf, this, this program. It's right there in Ephesians 4. They equip you to do your job. New pastor comes in, I said. People are all sitting there watching. Okay, what you got? What's your program? You're the program. The action is here among you. And the guys up here just do their work to equip you. You can do far more in the Phoenix area throughout the week than they can. They're just one guy or several guys. So they're equipping you to minister to each other and to reach the city. You're the program. So if, if you're a visitor here this morning and you consider yourself a Christian, you're thinking about joining this church, but you're kind of just a consumer and you want to show up on Sunday morning and kind of feed, get your jolt for the week, and then go off and live the rest of the week as basically a non-Christian, but maybe with slightly better behavior. I'm pretty sure, knowing Josh and knowing a few of you, this is not the church for you. Because the way this church is to work is, is you feed, yes, you get equipped on Sunday morning, but then you go out and you get to work. That's the job of a member even as a pastor is equipping you to do your job. And what's crucial to recognize here, I think, is that this only works when there is trust between the members and the elders. Trust, you might say, is sort of like the oil that the engine of Jesus' discipleship program requires to operate it. Without that oil of trust, the gears grind to a halt. Think about it like this. We imitate and follow the people we trust. If, If I know you love me and I trust you, I'll follow you, even if you come to me with a hard word. I don't like that hard word, but I know you love me. I know you have my best interest in heart. I'm going to try to humble myself and, 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 and listen to what you're saying and follow after you. But if I, don't, if I don't know that you love me and I don't trust you, I'm not going to follow you. In other words, it's on the pastor's part to be faithful and trustworthy. But it's on your part, especially see if you have a cynical, suspicious heart, It's on your part to work to trust these pastors who are proving trustworthy, who are proving faithful. Else it will be, they will be no of spiritual benefit to you. Do you want to grow as a Christian? Learn to trust your pastors who equip you to do your job. Okay, that's the first three. How exactly then do they shepherd? How do they oversee? How do they equip? That brings us to the next two. Fourth, a pastor is a teacher. He equips, he oversees, he shepherds, first of all, by teaching. Uh, You you, you see this in the list of qualifications, one of which in verse 2 of of 1 Timothy 3 is, look at the last phrase, able to teach. We'll we'll get to those others in a second. He is able to teach teach. Titus 1.9 says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught 
so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. 2 Timothy 4, 1-5 reads, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready. In season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with complete patience. Why with complete patience? Because they need to hear it again and again. With complete I'm saying the same things I said last week, but I got to do it with patience because we grow slowly, right? With complete patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Kind of looking at these texts collectively, First of all, if you look at the list of elder qualifications, both in Titus 1 and in in 1 Timothy 3, what you'll notice is that the qualifications listed for a pastor are things expected of every Christian, with two exceptions, not a recent convert and able to teach. Now, that doesn't mean, able to teach does not mean that an elder can necessarily a pastor can step into a pulpit stand in front of a thousand people and enthrall them with his wisdom and wit that's that's not the point it means that if, if, if you're struggling to understand the bible or you're going through a particular season of trial you know you can pull over into his driveway knock on the door and say hey i'm struggling can you help me and he he's going to open his bible that's where he's going to go and he's going to be able to talk from the bible He's going to give you sound teaching, sound doctrine from the Bible. He's not going to say crazy things, outlandish things from it. He has a faithful understanding of it. He, he teaches Titus 2 on what accords with sound doctrine. And, and, and the picture, if you read through the pastorals, 1st, 2nd Timothy, P- Titus, the picture Paul provides for both of them is a slow, patient, day-to-day, repetitious work of seeking to grow the people in godliness. An elder doesn't force, he teaches. Because a forced act of godliness is no godliness at all. And so he teaches. Hey, do you remember what I said? Did you forget what I said? Let me say it again. Let me say it again. I've always been struck also by how 2 Timothy 4 begins. I I just read that to you. We tend to emphasize verse 2, preach the word, in season, out of season, rebuke, reprove, exhort. You know, we we emphasize those. But don't quickly jump over verse 1. Verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is able to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. As Trinity Bible Church thinks about hiring its next lead pastor, it wants a guy who feels the weight of verse 1. A guy who's going to stand in front of you and say, Okay, I'm in, the, I'm in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. So I want to be very careful with what I say to you. 
because I'm going to be judged by his appearing. He's coming. And his kingdom is coming. And so I'm going to be super careful to you to say only Bible, no less than the Bible, no more than the Bible. Because, because I, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of that final judgment. I trust God. I trust my relationship, but I'm told to live in the fear of God, and He is coming. So, y'all can judge me. You can evaluate me by whatever set of criteria you have. Let me point you to this criteria. Jesus is coming. Jesus is judge. I'm going to speak His word. Whether you give me a pass or give me a fail, that's the criteria by which I'm going to live. That's what you're looking for. And not only that, as a good teacher teaches, he begins to bear fruit. The, the, the church responds. They get to work of doing good work and serving. You know, think of Paul teaching Lydia in Acts 16, and, and she converts and she's baptized and immediately says, she says, hey, come, come to my house. Let me, let me shelter you guys. She gets to work doing hospitality. So the fruit of Paul's teaching is good deeds in her life. So something to evaluate in a man's life is, is he faithful to the Bible? Yes, but do you also see people changing little by little as a result of his life and teaching and doctrine? The second one is really difficult. It takes time. You look at my fathering work like this week, this month, eh, you're not going to see much. To, to really understand how I am as a father, you kind of need to look at my, my daughters over 10, 15, 20 years. And so it is with an elder. It takes time. Number four. He not only teaches, he is an example. He is an example and model of ordinary Christianity. Think of Hebrews 13, 7. Again, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Think of 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Yourself and the teaching. Persist in this, Timothy. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. They, they need your good doctrine, your good teaching, but, but they also need your good example, Timothy. Or let, let's go to 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an elder overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the God's church? As Luther put it, you've got to be able to care for your little church before you can care for the big church. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Elders do not only teach, they must also set an example with their lives. They, they, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? And that, that's what an elder is doing. He's saying, imitate me 
as I imitate Christ. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. That list I just read of qualifications from 1 Timothy 3, I think sometimes Christians go searching for an elder's job description in the Bible and they don't quite find it. What they find, most ink spent on, are all of these qualifications, these lists. Why is that? Well, could it be that living that way is precisely what the job is? Also interesting is the fact that these descriptions of an elder's character point to attributes, as I said a moment ago, which every Christian should be living out, being sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And you read those and you think, really, Paul, is that sober-minded? Is that how high you're going to set the bar for these guys, sober-minded? Couldn't we do a little better than that, sober-minded? I mean, why doesn't Paul say more extraordinary things like, began seven orphanages, started a revival in which hundreds got saved? You know, he doesn't say that. He says, sober-minded, not drunk. Okay, I, 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 guess, I guess that's good. Why is that? Well, precisely because the job is to be an example to the flock. As he follows Christ, so you are to follow him. His life should be something that other Christians can copy. You see? Elders do not constitute a separate class of Christians, like the division between aristocrats and common folk, or between medieval priests and the layperson. Fundamentally, an elder, a pastor, is a Christian, is a member of the church. And he's a member of the church whose life is above reproach, and he's able to talk about it. Follow me as I follow Christ. Let me explain this to you. I'm not doing anything extraordinary here. I'm just trying to set an example for all of you. What that means is, first and foremost, if he's a Christian, first and foremost, he knows he's a sinner. He is going to sin. He is going to fail. He knows that he is a sinner saved by grace. He knows he, he's holding on to Christ for his hope. If, if you're here this morning as a visitor and as a non-Christian, this is probably an unusual sermon for this church, but l- let me be very clear about the most important thing you can hear this morning about elders is that elders know they're sinners just like you. And like me, and elders, pastors, like you, like me, need a Savior. Someone who came to live the perfect life that we have failed to live. Someone who died on the cross receiving the wrath of God, the punishment of God that we all deserve. And then this someone came and he rose again, conquering sin and death so that we can have life as we're united to him by faith. And friend, if, if, if you do not understand yourself to be a follower of Christ, that's the most important thing you can hear from me this morning. That's the most important thing you can know about what a pastor is, somebody who points to that message again and again and again and again. Because that's where all of our hope lies in that good news, that gospel message. Happy to talk to you about it 
afterwards or talk to Josh or talk to any Christian in this room. He's a sinner. He's a church member. He's not separated by class. If, if there's a difference, it's a difference of maturity. Like a parent who, again, who is trying to teach and grow the child up into himself. That's what the job is, up into maturity. Speaking figuratively, you might say a pastor is someone who uses a hammer and saw and then places the hammer and saw in your hands and says, now you do it. As I talked about yesterday for anybody who was there, he, he's like somebody who says, here's how you swing the golf club, let me put it in your hands. Here's how you play the piano scale, now you sit down on the bench. That, that's what the job is. You, you might say an elder's job is to play show and tell and his whole life is show and tell. You guys, you guys remember show and tell from school? Here's my teddy bear. Touch my teddy bear. It's all squishy. I like my teddy bear. Here's Christ-likeness. Push it on the tummy. Here's what Christ-likeness looks like. Watch, watch him. Let me teach you the way of the cross. Watch me walk in it. Here's how you endure suffering. Here's how you love your children. Here's how you share the gospel. Here's what generosity and justice look like. Let me show you how to be valiant for the truth and yet tender towards brokenness and weakness. What's our job as members? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The fact that a crucial part of an elder's job is to set an example of being a Christian means you want a plurality of these guys. You want a number of these guys. You don't want to rely on just one lead pastor. If the work of an elder or a pastor is to lay down a way of life that every Christian can follow, churches benefit from having more than just one of them. We, we learn from watching men in full-time vocational ministry, yes, but we also learn from watching this guy as he struggles as a public school teacher with all of these demands that are being placed on him. We watch from learning this guy who's got a lot of money in finance or this guy who doesn't got much money in working in the factory. Uh, men in different vocations give us the opportunity to see how godliness might look in different spheres. Now, a plurality of elders does not mean that the pastor who preaches most of the time doesn't have a distinctive role. James was specially recognized as a leader in the church in Jerusalem, as was Timothy in Ephesus and Titus in Crete and Corinth. Paul gave himself to preaching in a way not every lay elder would have. Also, I think by being the regularly voice that the, the congregation hears, a faithful preacher will probably find that a congregation begins to trust him in a unique way, such that even the other elders will show an honor, a, a double honor, Paul says, meaning income in 1 Timothy 5 to this man or maybe a few men. Still, the preacher, the lead pastor, the senior pastor is fundamentally just one more elder. 
Got one more vote, even if he's first among equals, kind of leading the way for them. And the the church wants to say, hey, we're going to buy you out of a career and we're going to pay you to lead us. You're so faithful in doing that. Also, the fact that setting an example is central to an elder's work or a pastor's work means what for a pastor's wife? Well, does it mean she needs to be especially gifted at public speaking or leading the ladies' luncheon? Well, no, there's no office of pastor's wife in the Bible. There's no list of qualifications for a pastor's wife. Rather, it means that he, not she, he must have done a good job. What does verse 4 of 1 Timothy 3 say? At managing his household well. So you look at her and you see that she, because of his work, is doing well as a Christian, is doing well as a mother, is doing well as a church member. So if his job is to set in a good example of being a good father, a good husband, then you want to see that she is being husbanded well and she is showing the fruits of that. That is all. Different pastors, wives, will have different strengths, different personalities, some introverts, some extroverts, some good at public teaching, some terrified by it, have no interest in it. And that's fine. Church, your goal in her life is to care for her well so that she can care for him well so that he can care for you well which is of a benefit to you. One illustration. Don't pay them so well that they'll be deceived by riches, but pay them well enough that she won't be stressed out all the time. Yeah, we're going to be able to make these bills, pay for the kids' education. Because if she's stressed, we all know he's stressed. And if he's stressed, that makes it harder for him to serve you and be a benefit to you. And what's true of money is true of other kinds of demands that you might be tempted to place on here. Let every pastor and every elder's wife lean into her own strengths, be who God created her to be, and in particular, be a husband to him. Learn to be the best wife she can be for him. She doesn't need extra demands on her from you. The Bible doesn't give you instruction to do that. Sixth, and finally, a pastor's temporary. Hebrews 13, 7, and 8 again. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I heard one pastor argue that the charge to remember 
their leaders in verse 7 suggests that some of their leaders may have died, unlike their present leaders, which he talks about later in verse 17. I don't know if we can draw all of that out of the word remember or not. What's interesting, though, is how verse 8 follows. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So notice that the author of Hebrews simultaneously promotes their leaders, imitate them, submit to them, and demotes them. They're not Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone will always be with you. Do not build your faith faith on these guys. All of them will change. Strengths, weaknesses, comings, goings, good seasons, bad seasons, difficult seasons. They're not the object of your faith or the foundation of your faith. Jesus is. A beloved pastor leaves. Be sad. Don't be shaken. Don't let your faith be shaken. Your faith is not in Him. Your faith is Jesus Christ. Praise God for whatever strengths any given pastor has. They they point you to Christ. Praise God for any weaknesses your pastors may have. They point you to the fact they're not Jesus Christ and so point you to Jesus Christ. And if your pastor wants to have any legacy among you, as I heard him just say, I'm confident it is not worship me, hope in me, build your faith on me. It is worship him, hope in him, build your faith on him. Remember your leaders, imitate their faith. If it's a true faith, it's a faith in Jesus who was the same yesterday and today and forever. And that's the faith that you are to imitate. So what's the title of this sermon? What is a pastor? Well, what's the answer to that question? Well, a pastor is a gift of Jesus who worships Jesus, whose job is to point you to Jesus in word and deed so that you too might worship Jesus and follow after Jesus, who is the same in September 2009 and today, August 2022, and next week, week after that, and in 2032 and 2042 and whenever it is that the Lord Jesus takes you home. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. In the new heavens and the earth, I trust some of you might actually have the same job. I I trust that in the new heavens and new earth there's going to be musicians and tree planting and and bridge building. Do you know who's going to be out of a job? pastors 
I'll be unemployed. Because the one they've been pointing to is here. And the ones they've been working for, you, will be perfected. And they'll say, praise the Lord. I am unemployed. Unemployed. 